Oh, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30, and, of course, it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, we have to welcome back into the studio Stephen Ryan, all the way from Madagascar. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, and good morning, everybody out there. Um, it's uh, been a frenetic month, one way or another, but uh, a lot of fun. And uh, Well, it's been frenetic for us too back here. You you haven't had all the fun. <laughs> no, well, that's true too, I suppose. You know, there's been lots of things going on that Absolutely. I've actually managed to miss, I guess. Yep. Uh, one of the good things about going away to somewhere particularly third world, is as long as you keep people away from their iPads, you don't actually hear much of what's going on in the world. So I've missed most of the Trump-Clinton thing. You know, oh, so, yeah. you haven't missed anything. <laughs> yeah, you know, so there's been lots of things in the yeah. world that I've been able to be oblivious of Wonderful. over the last month, which I think is actually fabulous. Yes. So, um, yes, it's great to be home, but it was an amazing trip. So I, I would recommend to anybody, if they want to uh, go to the mo- one of the most exotic and interesting places in the world, you can do far worse than go to Madagascar. And you're actually going there again next year, I believe. Oh, yes. Uh, October next year, uh, we're almost booked up. So if there's anybody who is seriously considering it, don't let uh, the grass grow. Um, I think we've got 14 on board and we can only take 16. So, wow. So if somebody wants to, to join me for next year's trip to Madagascar, I should be even better next time. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure whether the animals and plants will be any better, but I should be. Oh, um, come on. You've done this a few times Well, now. I have. But the, the interesting thing about this particular trip was we worked through a new uh, company in Madagascar and we didn't stay anywhere that I've ever stayed before, so all the accommodation was completely different, so I didn't know anything about any of the hotels and resorts and things we were staying in. Uh, and there were quite a number of um, uh, of parks and, and reserves that we went to that I hadn't been to before, so okay. there was quite a lot of new stuff in it oh, for good. me. Uh, so we did some of the things we'd done before, but <clears throat> there was um, certainly some new stuff, Excellent. like going to the Baobab Avenue and things like mm. that, which was... Really good. Yes, I, I, I did miss not going there. I must say, on the trip that we did, a <coughs> it's a long back, way to go yes. um, from everywhere else yeah. in a way. So it's hard to fit into a trip. Uh, but we decided we would run for it. There was about, I think, about four hours in four wheel drives over really bumpy roads to get in there. Okay. Uh, and then we drove further north and went to a an area of Singi, which is the sort of pointy rocks that they have in Madagascar. Um, and uh, it was an area of Singi I hadn't done, so we sort of tied the two in, and it was quite exciting. I had to clamp myself onto chains to go up through the Singi, you know, wow. these cables and things, yep. and across across suspension bridges, and it was very Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sounds good. Yeah, so it was great fun. So uh, I'm absolutely exhausted, but it was uh, very worthwhile, and I can't imagine anybody who went on the trip would have uh, felt that they missed much. It was... Excellent. We saw so much stuff. Excellent. So there you go. So if, if anyone does want to jump on board for next year, if they get in touch with ASA, which yep, is get in Australian, touch with Australian Studying, studying abroad. abroad, and uh, have a chat to them about it, you'll need to move reasonably quickly, I should imagine, uh, to book in for next year's trip. Mm. And that'll be the last one I'll do to Madagascar for a little while. Um, I'm going to move on and do some other places. Um, and... This coming year will be the last time I do Normandy in the Loire Valley for a while as well. So if anybody wants to go to a slightly more civilised part of the world um, and see chateaus and gilt furniture and all that stuff, uh, <laughs> then Normandy in the Loire Valley could be for you, and that's in June next year. And okay. we've still got spaces on board on that one as well. So. And you can't really not mention some of the gardens, Stephen, oh, really. Well, of course, you see the, the highlighty ones, you know, like uh, Monet's Garden and all that sort of stuff, and Vaux 
of Econ and, uh, yes, and, and every chateau known to man, actually, in, in that northern part of France because there's an awful lot of them. But uh, it's some of the little private gardens that are just so beautiful. Oh, wonderful. Oh. Uh, gardens that were built by individuals. Yep. Uh, and Normandy being a damp sort of part of France, uh, everything's green and there's water bubbling mm. up everywhere and it's sickening, really. Um, <laughs> but they can grow everything. You know, you see... Roses dripping out of everything, covered in clematis, and you know the whole place is just it's flowery lush, and it? lush and yeah. gorgeous. And so, some of the plants people's gardens are seriously good because they can grow practically everything. Mm. I mean, Princess Sturds's garden, um, uh, Lavastavaril, oh, yes. is just amazing, and it's got such high-level horticulture that, believe it or not, they polish their birch, birch trunks with beer. And so they have these amazing silvery um, Himalayan birches and they actually brush the trunks with beer to keep them nice and clean and and gorgeous looking. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's high-end horticulture. It if certainly If you're going is. to put that sort of effort into yep, things. exactly. So it is a fabulous part of the world mm. and definitely worthwhile going to. And you're going there in June? In June next year. We'll okay. be doing 21 days uh, all through Normandy in the Loire Valley. And it's not just about the gardens. We'll visit the Bayeux Tapestries. We'll go to the Normandy Beach landing sites. Uh, we'll see the Apocalypse Tapestries at Anjou. Uh, we'll go to the Fine Art Gallery in Rouen. Uh, so there's Lots and lots of not necessarily horticultural things included in the tour as well. Mm. You'll have to eat food and drink wine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's mandatory. (laughs) All that sort of gear. So yeah, so it's it's a fairly luscious trip. So I'm I'm really looking forward to doing Normandy again this coming year. Absolutely fantastic. Mm. It's more than time. We also say a very good morning to Karen Sutherland from Edible Eden Design. Morning, Karen. Hi Pam. How are you? Good, good, good. Now you've been away on holidays too. Did you go anywhere exciting? Oh. Kind of yes and kind of no. We didn't quite get to the outback because there was this little matter of a lot of rain happening. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Gee, that got in the way again. It really did. In fact, it was actually difficult just to traverse the New South Wales countryside. (laughs) There were various road blockages and things like that. So there was no outback activity whatsoever. So instead there was a bit of coastal activity. So, look, it was a completely different holiday than expected, let's say. (laughs) Um. Yeah, in some ways I'm probably, um, you know, oh, what can I say? Glad to be back possibly. <laughs> it was an unusual holiday, let's say. Yep. Yes, yeah, yeah. We did we did see some nice orchids because the, uh, you know, the weather was such in some of the reserves in New South Wales and getting up to Queensland and there had been so much rain that they were starting to come out because it was just very early spring. So, um, yeah, I've got a very nice picture on my phone, actually. Of it. Okay. I don't know what it it's is. It's really but... good for radio yeah, characters. Yeah, yeah. It's like a purple orchid. <laughs> yeah, purple yeah. orchid. So there were some spectacular small orchids and a very nice place that we'd like to get back to, um, Garraween, um National Park. Uh, okay. A really interesting area where there's a lot of different ecological um, crossovers, ecological type crossovers. So it's at a bit more altitude than a lot of um, New South Wales bordering on Queensland and so... They um, get a lot of cold weather, more cold weather plants. That you, like a lot of the um, vegetation looks more like Victoria, so quite interesting. And then you've got a bit of subtropical as well, so it's a real mixture of a place and lots of amazing rocks too. Okay. And you know, this beautiful lake, which you thought, gee, if it was warm, I'd love to be jumping into that, mm. but it was freezing cold. <laughs> and you know, rocks and water flowing over them. Uh, yeah. So the the water 
in the creeks looked pretty spectacular. And everywhere we went, all we could really see was rushing creeks and and lots of canola and things like that. So yeah, okay. we just sort of travelled a lot, attempting to get in, going down, try to get in, no, going down, try to go in, no. <laughs> anyway, another day. Some things just aren't meant to be. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly yes. right. Yeah. 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 I bet up there they're all grateful for the rain though. Uh, yeah, look, they really are, although, you know, some of the images in my mind are going through New South Wales and seeing cows and horses and things just sort of huddled in the corner of a paddock and it's just completely full of water. Right. So, you know, there was, there was a huge amount of water. It's, it's one of those things where you kind of you, – you're in your own little area in the city, say, when you hear about floods or, or lots of rain or road blockages. It doesn't really mean very much when you're driving through it thinking, oh, we can't go there or we can't go there. And looking at how people's properties looked, it was pretty, pretty terrible actually for some of them. So. Right. Yeah, there was there was a lot of rain. Okay. So, yeah, but look, it will be good to charge the ground with once it all subsides, yeah. <laughs> and uh, really good for um, parched areas of New South Wales and outback Queensland, I guess. Mm. And and I, I, I assume the wildflowers in the centre are pretty good at some stage. Some people have seen them. So. <laughs> so you just had to time your visit better than we did. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh well. Anyway. Another day. You're back safe and sound. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, we made thing. it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't get stuck. That could have been worse. We could have been stuck in the outback. Um, with mud, you know, so because yep. once you got in there, you just couldn't get out. No, so it, it was one of those years. Okay, mm. fair enough. Now I'm also delighted to invite for the first time into the studio Dr. Chris Williams, and Chris is a lecturer and researcher at the Burnley campus of Uni of Melbourne. Morning, Chris. Yeah, morning, Pam. It's great to have you in the studio. Yeah, I'm really wrapped to be here with uh, Karen and Stephen. Actually, yeah. Okay, excellent. You didn't mind the early up getting up? No, no, I was going <laughs> to be on a Sunday morning. It's sacrificing my garden time, to be honest. <laughs> at least I didn't drag you in in the middle of winter when it's pitch black. Oh, yeah. Well, that would be garden time, though. No, 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 that's, no true. that's hibernation time. <laughs> Head torch? No. <laughs> Chris, we're gonna we're gonna get back to you and talk about sure. uh, what you're doing at Burnley. But um, I must get on to some of the announcements. Being uh, middle of springtime, of course, there's still a lot happening at the moment in the uh, horticultural world out there. Uh, if people don't have any plans for today, there's quite a few things on today. Firstly, uh, down at Footscray Community Arts Centre today, there is a bonsai exhibition and sale. This is running from 10am through to 4pm. Uh, entry is adults $5. Children under 15 are free if they're with an adult. Uh, there'll be daily door prizes. There's bonsai demonstrations. There's hundreds of bonsai on display and sale. So, as I said, that's all down at Footscray Community Arts Centre uh, for that one. Now, also, of course, there's two gardens open today for um, Open Gardens Victoria. Uh, first one is Halcyon, which is at 466 Marinda Highway in Healesville. Uh, now, this is open 10 through to 4.30 today. Entry price for this one is $10. Under 18s are free. And also combined with that one nearby is Ridgefield, which is at 58 Boundary Road in Coldstream. And uh, again, open 10 to 4.30 today. Entry price, again, $10 with children under 18 are free. So both of those are in close proximity of each other. You could uh, really make a day of it and see the two of them. Now, also today is the second day of the Spring Rose Show. This is being run by the Rose Society of Victoria. It's taking place at Mount Waverley Community Centre which is on the corner of Stevenson's Road and Miller Crescent in Mount Waverley, opposite the Mount Waverley Railway Station there. 10am through to 4.30 today. 
the stalls featuring rose plants, books, gifts, garden tools, companion plants and the salvia study group will be there. Bunches of roses can also be purchased uh, today at uh, 4.30 onwards because they obviously don't want to take them home again with them. There is a speaker program at 11 o'clock this morning. Veronica O'Brien will be talking about gardens in China. At 1 o'clock, Pat Insel will be talking about Dorothy Paul Plate. And at 2.30, Maureen Lucas will be talking about roses and gardens throughout the world. Lunch and afternoon tea is available. Admission, adults $5, concession of $4, children under 12 free. Uh, of course, it's the first Sunday in the month. That also means that Villa Alba is open again. This is the, uh, the historic house and the RJ Hamer Heritage Garden. Opens, opens from 1 through till 4 o'clock. Um, admission is $10, $8 concession. Children are free. Afternoon tea is available with a $3 donation. And, of course, the address of Villa Alba Museum is 44 Walmer Street in Kew. Melway's reference, 44H6. Now, a couple of others I should quickly mention. Uh, Today, Australian Pelagonium and Geranium Society have got their annual spring show. This is at Belfield Community Centre, which is on the corner of Oriel Road and Banksia Street in Ivanhoe. Uh, 9.30 this morning, running through until 4 o'clock. Cost is $5. That includes morning and afternoon tea. Plants and cuttings for sale for that one. Uh, Now, also, um, I've got a couple to mention for coming up next uh, weekend. Firstly, next Friday and Saturday will be the 45th Leon Gather Rose Spectacular. The venue for that is the Leon Gather Memorial Hall, Cost uh, is $5 admission. All proceeds are going to Vision Australia. It's a major rose show with many rose sections covering all sorts of different uh, different levels in the competition. And uh, there'll be annual rose uh, feature rose and a garden walk. Um, now also next weekend, the Bromeliad Show uh, of the Bromeliad Society Victoria will be held uh, both Saturday and Sunday as well. The venue for that one is Phoenix Park Community Centre. That's in Rob Roy Road in Chadston. Melway's reference for that is 6902. Uh, next Saturday it'll be 9 till 5. Next Sunday 9 till 4. Cost is $4. Seniors $3. And of course lots of bromeliads on display. Um, and one more for next weekend. Maribyrnong Orchid Society. Um, Venue is Maribyrnong Community Centre, Randall Street in Maribyrnong, 9 till 4 on both days. Entry is $5 and uh, uh, you can get there a tram stop 57 to 82, stop number 45. Um, and the other ones I will save till next week. Stephen, you've got one because you're leading a, a tree-hugging tour. Yes. Uh, <coughs> the lovely property at Mount Macedon called Ardhilly which is on the north side of the mountain, uh, we're going to do an ancient trees walk. Um, this property dates right back well over a century, and some of the trees are truly immense. And so we're, we're going to have a look at some really interesting ancient trees. And uh, the property's got quite a number that I think should be on the National Register. <coughs> I don't think anybody's been up there to assess them yet. 
and there's certainly some quite rare species as well. Um, and it was originally selected as a property by William McGregor, who was one of the original um, uh, directors of BHP. And so he spent a lot of time out in rather ungardeny areas. Um, and so when he decided that he wanted a place of his own, he created this thing that could only be described as a sort of Scottish Highland um, <laughs> sort of uh, laird's place. It was, well, it, it is. It's an estate. Yeah, it, it really is a, an amazing property. So uh, he collected a whole pile of different trees from all over the place uh, and planted them on his property. Uh, and there are some trees that have got uh, trunks on them that are well over two metres in diameter mm. and mm. and hugely tall. I think it's got one of the biggest tulip trees I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Some amazing tall conifers um, and some really weird rarities like a a, a Himalayan holly, uh, Ilex kingianum, that gets leaves about the size of a locust tree and uh, and red berries that cluster along the stems uh, for the whole length of the previous year's growth. So if you've got sort of 12 inches of growth, you had red berries all the way along that 12 inches of growth. That's spectacular. Uh, Oh, it's an amazing tree, and I only know of three of it, three of them anywhere at all, uh, and they're all on Mount Macedon, all of about Mm. the same era. One's Mm. a male and two are female trees. Um, So, yeah, so there's some really interesting things to see. Uh, on this trip. It includes morning tea. Uh, it starts at 10.30. Um, you do need to book if you want to come along. Um, it's $30, which includes the morning tea. Uh, and if you want to book, it's at info, it's info at Ard Hilly Garden, which is A-R-D-C-H-O-I-L-L-E garden, all one word, .com.au. So um, we've still got a few spaces if somebody wants to come along, um, uh, and I think you'll find it a really interesting mm. morning. Be excellent. So that's at Ard Hilly next Thursday the 10th. Okay. Now, one I must mention because um, we've been talking about this on and off uh, over the last couple of months, really, but this is a major um Major festival, uh, it's the Kangaroo Paw Festival, oh, which yes. is all happening down at uh, at Cranbourne Botanic Gardens. Um, now, firstly, coming up on the 19th is going to be the big uh, Kangaroo Paw Picnic. Uh, now, this is Saturday the 19th, Sunday the 20th of November, and there's going to be a, a very varied program of activities There'll be guided tours by Angus Stewart, though you do need to book for those. There'll be the launch of Angus's uh, new landscape violet uh, kangaroo paw. There'll be special uh, Growing Friends plant sale of kangaroo paws and cottonheads. There'll be floral art demonstrations with kangaroo paws and Australian plants. Live music with uh, the Gardener's Bluegrass Band, which I know features actually John Arnott's son, so that'll be good fun. And uh, there'll be uh, – everyone will have the opportunity to vote in the best kangaroo paw competition. There'll be lots of displays um, by sponsors and public gardens in the Melbourne region. So that's all happening on the Saturday the 19th, Sunday the 20th of November. But then following that um, – there is a special three-day event. Now, this is a symposium. Now, it's been divided into three days for um, a very good reason because each day is themed according to the audience they're, they're going to be speaking to. So the first one, day one, is on Thursday the 24th of November. Now, this is um, aimed at uh, botanical, zoological and horticultural People, So this is really um, what they're calling the Science Day. And, uh, of course, as such, they're going to be dealing with 
with uh, those sorts of aspects on the day. Now, this one is being held up in Melbourne in Mueller Hall there uh, by the Melbourne Botanic Gardens. But following that one, day two uh, will be down at Cranbourne, RBG Cranbourne. This second one is geared to breeding, marketing, design, cultivation and diseases. So this one is termed the professional day. So it's uh, specially aimed for people who work in botanic gardens, parks and gardens, horticulture design and construction. And then finally, the third one is uh, specifically aimed for the home gardeners. And this will be um, lots of talks on kangaroo paws suitable for home gardeners and enthusiasts. Now, um, these uh, these days, uh, they're, they're all-day um, uh, conferences, symposiums, but there has been a massive price reduction uh, because they would like as many people to have the opportunity to go along and listen to these guest speakers. So um, the, the prices have been greatly reduced. So for each of these symposiums, for day one and day two, for um, members of uh, Friends of Botanic Gardens, it's $100. For non-members, $130. For students, it's $75. Uh, So that's for day one and day two. Uh, For day three, for the home gardeners, uh, members of the gardens, $80, non-members, $100, and students, $75. So um, a big price reduction. Now, um, that... Those prices also include catering for each of the days, morning and afternoon teas and lunch. Now, um, if you want to a book, you can go online, www.rbgfriendscranbourne.org.au or um, there's, uh, you can have some phone inquiries, uh, 9725-3569 <laughs> Or there's an email address, symposium at rbgfriendscranbourne.org.au. So uh, that phone number again, if people would like to uh, have a chat to Chloe about it and maybe uh, have a booking form sent to you, 97253569. Okay, well, it is time we opened up our talkback lines for our listeners. If you'd like to ask a gardening question, do give us a call. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Chris, to get back to you, Novel Crops Project. It sounds absolutely fascinating, and this is really your baby, isn't it? Yeah, it is my baby. It's essentially um, trying to uh, you know, encourage people to grow largely edible plants that they haven't thought they could grow in Melbourne before. Yeah, so my uh, my main obsessions are taro, sweet potatoes, and yams. But there's lots of them as well. Lots of not just starchy root crops, which I get accused of being obsessed with, <laughs> um, but they are awesome. Um, so uh, yeah, we've been working on that for the last three years. So it's really just testing whether they actually grow in Melbourne and have a yield, um, but also trying to look at the sort sort of species that perhaps you know people from our very diverse community would actually already grow sneakily in their backyards yes. or would like to grow. Um, so, yeah, it's going really well. We have a demonstration garden at Burnley um, and I've done a, a planting of very, some of these crops in Dandenong, in the, in the old Dandenong Park there, which is okay. actually much older than people realise. Right. Dandenong, of course, was a, a, its own distinct town for 150 years. Uh, not just swallowed up by suburbia. And, and that's been really fantastic because that's the horticultural team down there. So the city of Greater Dandenong, which is what Dandenong and what Springvale used to be, still have the luxury of having their own in-house gardeners. 
So when they thought about the fact that Dandenong is the most diverse municipality in Victoria, second in Australia, mm. 150 nationalities, you know, 150 wow. more languages. I thought Coburg was diverse. But no, we don't have Dan- Dandenong is mind-blowing. Um, <laughs> and uh, I only really remember Dandenong. I worked in a couple of factories down there a long time ago, I must admit, but driving through it as a kid before the Monash Freeway was done. And my mum tells me my great-grandfather bought his last horse there in 1946. (laughs) (laughs) But when you go there now, it really is just extraordinary, people from all over the world. So so the gardeners down there said, well, if you're growing these crops, could we grow them in the middle of the park? And so they created this classic municipal mounded bed that you would normally do carpet bedding with. Right. Um, And I should say they do really good annual flower displays still, Mm -hmm. old school annuals, but in targeted areas. So, you know, it's not wasteful and all that stuff. It's sustainable. Um, And then they started doing, this is before they got involved with me, they were doing um, edible displays and had a great response from the public. So anyway, they said, if you've got lots of these different things, which we could assume members of our community would respond to, let's do it. So we did this big, we did sort of triangles of Dioscoria yams, so climbing yams in the middle, some taro around that with a few other interesting things like cranberry hibiscus, and then we had this like sweep of about five or six different types of sweet potato. And it looked fantastic, and there was an amazing response. And we harvested about 90 kilos of sweet potato. Wow. Um, mm. And I've got some great photos of that. So now yeah. there, there was a while back um, mm. because I was I was so heavily involved with community gardens for a long time, and a lot of the a lot of the uh, the nationalities gardening in those gardens were growing sweet potatoes. Absolutely. But at the time, they weren't able to get tubers unless they they overwintered them and and kept them in the ground for two years. But I'm gathering that that because our climate is warming that maybe we're achieving tubers more easily? And, I, and I, noted in, I noted in your in the famous book, which I forgot <laughs> the name, Community Gardens is simply called, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's been a great inspiration for me and noting that there was this uh, supposed difficulty growing sweet potatoes. And yet, if you know, my treasured 1965 edition of the Yates Garden Guide, right. which is national, I admit, features sweet potato okay. as being very doable, at least Sydney and North, right? Yes, yes. Um, uh, and other, other old gardening books even talk about growing them in Melbourne. And, in fact, um, even as far south as Launceston, one book says. Really? Yeah. Wow. So the thing is it's getting the right varieties. Yep. Some of the old Australian ones have, have died out, I think. Okay. Um, but also, in a way, following the traditional gardening practices of, of you know, Melanesians, the people from PNG and Vanuatu, which is always just use the slips. Don't ever put a tuber in the ground. Right. There's this – if you put the – the slips, the cuttings in straight into the soil, or you can obviously get them going in pots earlier as well, which mm. helps. You will always get much better production than if you just stick a fragment of tuber in. Okay. I don't know why. Mm. Interesting. Um, There's a PhD. There is a PhD. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so so the the standard purple one, the, the, the Northern Star, which you can get in supermarkets, so it's purple on the outside, white on the inside, yes. much preferred by, um, you know, Vietnamese and um, Polina- you know, Islander people. That grows pretty well in Melbourne. But Beauregard, the, the standard orange one, that is prolific. Mm. I, I, yeah. That's the one diggers often sell, isn't it? I think. Yeah, I yeah. Think I got I mean, one from them years ago. Yeah. The, a lot of communities regard that as just being really mushy and pretty bland. Yes. Um, and, and that's the point. The point of this project is to point out to people uh, that, you know, we, we, we're used to sweet potato now, but really, globally, the 6,000 types, right? Mm. How, many, text- how many types in Australia? 
Do you know? Oh, well, I've got a collection of about 12 now. Okay. That includes mm-hmm. about three so-called ornamental ones. Oh, but, the coloured leaf ones. And yeah. Things, which are so, gorgeous. They are beautiful. <laughs> and beautiful I mean, plants. Um, so, yeah, so, so that it, there's... Uh, there's a lot of potential for growing different sorts, and you can eat the leaves too. Which yes, is what, which a lot well, of people, that's what a lot of was, the gardeners were, were doing when they couldn't produce the tubers; they were yeah. using the leaves. Yeah, yeah, so fascinating. So, well, taro is another one there. Again, I've always thought of it as a warmer climate plant. Abs- absolutely, and yet um, when you uh, when you grow, and there's different types of taro as well, which mm. is really interesting. So there's there's Ones with sort of meter long leaves, and ones with smaller, smaller plants with uh, smaller tubers, usually associated with the smaller leaves. But um, no, they 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 do like quite uh, moist soil. But then again, you find that it, it's just the standard amount of uh, irrigation that you would use for, say, tomatoes. Okay, you get a fantastic crop. In terms of the cold, I mean, I have two frosts a year, roughly, in my garden in Alfington, and um, the the taro, which looks just so gorgeous by the by by sort of January, it gets blasted and you get this sort of uh, kind of floppy, wilty thing happening, yes, of course. Right. But underneath that, those then sort of dying leaves protect all the younger leaves and they overwinter really well. Okay. So, so taro really is the is a fantastically persistent crop in Melbourne if, with my two frosts, for example. And mm. the tubers are enormous. It's, it's not as big as the ones you'll see at the Preston Market, for example. Um, but really very functional perennial food crop and looks, I think for me, I'm really into the sort of the aesthetic value of, of these perennial food species. It just looks great. Mm. Occasionally I have a one year mm. visit that I'm uh, managed to um, harass Chris and say, can I come and have a look and can I get a bit of this and get a bit of that and I'll give you some of this and that. <laughs> and uh, I can attest to the size of those those tarot plants. I wish I had more space to put in them. I'm really jealous of that because that exotic foliage mm. Stunning. It's mm. just beautiful. Yes, I think, oh, is. where can I put something that size in? But yes. I don't have enough room. It's absolutely beautiful. Even in the uh, at, at my really parents' I experiment because I have a kind of clay loam, I guess you'd call it in Alfington. Yes, and uh, they have a kind of coarse, sandy, southeast suburb soil. All right. And I planted taro uh, down the side. You know, the dreaded down the side yes, that people always yes. ask about with drip ir- irrigation. So on this very free droning soil, you know, two irrigation events a week. And yeah, look, it wasn't as prolific as at my place, but very, very serviceable crop look fantastic okay and um and my mum is a real convert you know excellent and uh, feeds my dad up on it and uh so i when when he's starting to look samoan yeah no no he certainly (laughs) keeps him but that's right there's a lot of carbs there (laughs) but it's it's, it's interesting with these um you know my mum's a a, you know kind of very classic melbourne gardener so when i can convert her to a new plant and she'll eat it and feed my dad with it i call that passing the duty test (laughs) that's her name obviously um yeah and so there's quite a few things that do pass the duty test and it's really interesting yeah. So it's not just so. It's just to make sure it's not my own, just my own obsession, obviously. Well, I can't believe they're sandy soils. I'm really surprised to hear that. Yeah, and, mm. and there's actually, um, but again, it's not as lush as you'd saw at yeah, my place. Yeah. But there's another type of taro, which is South American xanthosoma, it's a gitifolium, oh. right? Mm. Which loves the drier soil, right? Oh. Uh, especially if it's protected, yes. and that's that gets massive at my parents down the side. Okay, you know, yeah, is, yeah. Is that the same? Uh, once I went to visit when um, yeah. Jeremy Colby Williams had an open garden, and I bought back a little xanthosoma from his mm. place, but it hasn't done much. Whether it's probably more one that's more suited to the tropics. So there's, I thought xanthosomas from seeing them there must have mm. been very tropical. Well, I guess not they, knowing uh, anything about them. I saw them. It. I was in Brazil this year for a week, and there was they were everywhere. In fact, they eat the leaves preferentially mm. as a spinach. But they're doing well. The xanthosomas you have are doing well in Melbourne. 
particularly in a you know so in, in my in my two frosty year garden i mean they look shocking at the moment but they'll yeah. come good oh. um but yeah. I, but they're they're used as a in, in so Vanuatu for example they're called Fiji taro mysteriously that must have been where they came from <laughs> um, but they're definitely xanthosome and they use them as the kind of emergency taro when there's been a mm. poor monsoon or, okay. or something right so they grow up the slopes away from the main Colocasia taro gardens and they they, they turn their in the more free draining soil yeah, yeah. and then of, you have the um, uh, cassava further up the hill <laughs> yeah yeah that's that, well cassava's another one that we're trying that's a, yeah. that, that definitely a bit marginal in melbourne yes but um, grows well in madagascar <laughs> i can yeah well exactly but I've it's got never this tried beautiful it. it's got this <laughs> beautiful foliage it. yeah mm. and again part of what we're trying to do is to say well if you just use a few tricks that peep gardens have been using for a long time like the sheltered spot mm. putting things under glass you can have a lot of things in melbourne that we mm. grow you know, and, and I think when you go to Europe and you see, I don't know, peaches in England grown in glass mm. albums, you think, okay, we've all, determined. It's, it's always about pushing the margins. Mm. Yeah, that's you know? right. So, um, so the cassava yeah, is such a beautiful plant. So it's worth having it for about three or four months of the year, I think, in Melbourne. Not that it's the nicest thing. I think Stephen's making these, <laughs> implying it's pretty, you know, because, the, because it's full it's subsistence let, plant. As far as yeah. So, so let, 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 let me promote it successfully and market it by saying it's full of cyanide. Right? Yeah, yeah, that so, helps. So, yes, that, so, that really helps. But, but just quickly, Pam, one thing I love about cassava is in terms of the, the, uh, the issue of climate change, it is so ridiculously heat tolerant. Mm. So I have a colleague who actually turns out by coincidence a sort of global expert on on cassava, okay, uh, Dr. Rebecca Miller, and so between its preferred temperature is between thirty and forty degrees. Right. So when you get those really horrific heat waves in Melbourne, the few years I've grown it, it just sits there shimmering and this glossy shimmering thing just takes saying, "I love the heat." <laughs> and so to, when when we're normally you know watching our so many of our plants have a hard time in a heat wave, to watch cassava just loving it is quite an edifying sight. <laughs> Fair enough. Mm. Okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> it hasn't converted me to eat the stuff, I'm telling you now. Well, yeah, I will say that, um, and again, and it's interesting in terms of different communities that you come across. So oh, absolutely. I- Indonesian people that I've met in Melbourne love the leaves mm. of cassava mm. as a spinach. A lot of other, really? I've spoken to African mm. people who are not so keen, they're just mm. about the, the, the tubers. The tubers, Certainly yeah. in Madagascar, mm. they seem to only have the tubers. Yeah. They don't yes. seem to use the foliage. But it's interesting, yeah, exactly how people will miss something. So Indonesian people I've spoken to said if someone has a big bag of cassava leaves in Melbourne, there'll be people crisscrossing the city to, to buy them off the Right. So, wow. so just for that alone, if you can show, let's say, this one community how to successfully grow cassava in Melbourne, that's a win. Mm. You know? oh, but I, tr- I tried the leaves and I have to say, again, because they are full of cyanide, you've got to kill, kill off the cyanide by baking or boiling. Yes. And um, the smell coming out of that saucepan full of cassava leaves was alarming, to say the least. <laughs> so, Yeah, let's not go there. No, no, no. Yeah, a beautiful plant. Mm. Yep. Okay. Now, I know you're particularly interested in, in perennial edible plants. That's right. Um, is there any special reason for that interest? Or is it yeah. purely that they, they demand less attention overall? Um, I, think it's, I think for me, uh, perennial crops is the sort of uh, – with a small pea, with my small pea permaculture hat on, um, is the dream of uh, it's really a lazy gardener dream at some level. Okay. It is theoretically fewer inputs, yes, just like having a normal a normal quote unquote garden, yes. Um, but but I think it's for me. I was literally inspired by my grandmother as a kid when she she was planting seven year beans because I sort of found gardening pretty tedious as a kid. I liked the idea you could eat it, but right. a, lot, a lot of sort of enforced. 
you know, it felt to me the slavery of weeding for my mum, my brothers, <laughs> with my brothers was like a kind of hell, really. Right, okay. But my my grand was surprised even, you went into horticulture. Yeah, no, 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 because <laughs> my grand, she, when we were planting, I thought the veggie gardening was pretty cool. So when we planted the, the scarlet runners, the seven year beans, and she explained to me they're going to come up for the next seven years. And I said, without it, we don't have to re sow the beans. She's not. Nah. And I was like, oh, that is a great idea. And then with rhubarb, and I was, she was saying, yeah, we just keep picking and then it stays in the ground. Not that I knew the word perennial no, then, no. but I thought, okay, that's where I want to go. Okay. You know, because, you know, and I remember being fascinated by silver beet leaves, not that they're a perennial, of course. So it's just that idea that the garden, I mean, I love seasonality in the garden as well. Mm. And I like even the labour of gar- gardening, mm. you know. But just to have that sort of framework of perennial food plants and also that you don't have to harvest them in one go. Yes. You know, for example, I love potatoes, which, of course, you know, are theoretically perennial. But they, the, the foliage looks good for about, you know, I don't know, three weeks max, mm. and then it just gets collapses and looks terrible. Yep. But the taro just grows, looks fantastic for six months, and you don't have to harvest it in one great rush. Yep. So it's, you, you pick it and you dig it out when you want it. So I think it's, it's all about, um, you know, lessening the intensity of, I suppose, labour, but also that these things just sit there in the ground and, and come back year after year. You have to manage them, of course. Yep, yep. Yeah. Well, well, to me, the big attraction of, mm. of having something that's edible and perennial is that it, it broadens your scope um, as far as landscaping. Exactly, mm. yeah. So you can really do some fantastic um, edible landscaping designs, not have it as, 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 you know, we used to back in the, in the, the 50s and 60s mm. that the veggie garden was down the back in its one little mm. separate plot. But you can, you can have these perennial edible plants scattered right throughout the garden and, and they make bold structural statements exactly, as well. Exactly, and, I, and, I, and ideally I call that the seamless landscape where someone could, could walk into your garden and not actually know that it's a productive garden. Yes. And interestingly, um, you know, as many, as many people know, in the United States there are these lots of suburbs and communities that have these caveats and covenants and regulations around not putting food plants in your front garden. So really? There, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, no, yeah. And on lawns as well. I've just, just read a book about the history of turf in America and it, it makes us look like, in Australia, on the one hand, incredibly lazy, on the other hand, incredibly sustainable. That's another story. <laughs> so, so there are blogs and forums in America, you know, which are all about how do you make your front garden look just aesthetically stunning, um, you know, but it's full of food. So you can hide the fact that it's food. <laughs> Right, honestly, look this up. It's a, it's a <laughs> thing. Wacky. It's yeah, a thing. Yeah, yeah. Good heavens. So, so I completely agree. So that's that's the great the great fun of using perennial plants. Yep. But I must admit, there is a kind of for me an arc, an arc that sounds pretentious. Uh, you know that you go from being obsessed with the edibility of things to um, and in really enjoying that, and we research that, and then realizing that you're actually in love with the plant for how it looks and makes you feel. So lotus is well, like that. That's a win-win, sure. Yeah, so it is a win-win. It, win-win. it works win-win. both ways. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, I'll just quickly say that lotus is like that. You know, lotus flowers, which grow really well in Melbourne, to, to my surprise, um, you know, produce that sort of incredible rhizome, technically mm. it is. Mm. But really, you know, it's all about the flower, really. Mm. Yeah. It's just so beautiful. Chris, have you had much um, involvement with yep. some of these different nationalities um, out in Dandenong, for instance? Are they getting involved in any way? Or? Well, um, that's what I'd hope will happen in Dandenong, but we're actually at the moment back in the inner city running a project uh, with the Carlton Neighbourhood Learning Centre. Okay. 
um, where we're specifically targeting um, residents in, you know, the Carlton. A poster. A poster. Oh, wow. Oh, oh, the Carlton Public. <laughs> uh, sorry, the Carlton Housing Estate, but also Fitzroy, Collingwood, Richmond. Right. So they're doing language, English language programs there, and they've just got a, in the last year, a garden established. So the city of Yarra sort of, and Vic Rhodes have given them. Um, mm that wedge of land on Alexander Parade and okay. Nicholson Street. Yes, yes. So our um, our uh, grant we got from within the university is about giving um, participants there a sort of basic you know, introduction to horticulture, really. So they've come by the coach load to Burnley. Yes. And we've grown. We, we did some consultations uh, around what they would like to grow, and there were some standout things. Um, turmeric, ginger, okra. Okay. Um, and, and lots of other things too, bitter melon, you know. Yes, uh, yes. And I keep saying, what about the sweet potato? <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that, that got a Guernsey as well. Um, so no, you wanted to grow any yakons? Yeah, no. Mm, no. Oh. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, a great yeah. plant. Yeah, it is yeah, a great I plant. Like no, uh, yeah. There's uh, South, well, a few South Americans I know so are into that. Yes. But, um, look, that's, that's been a great success. And um, we are actually having a sale of the plants that these guys have grown and along with my students um uh, december 3rd which is a saturday okay. at, at the Car- carlton connect corner of grattan and swanson street i might send you an email yeah with the details. please do that and i'll mention yeah. it again but but the um it's interesting when you've got diverse communities vietnamese somalis ethiopians even people from the middle east you know all together and trying to see what's the thing that they miss or what would they really like to grow mm. and this year i have to say i mean okra okra Okra. That was the one that really united them all. Mm. You know, that's interesting, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's not high on my perception yeah. of vegetables, I, but they I actually nice. really love it. Yeah. It's just, I don't know why, mm. but I absolutely love that sliminess. Yeah. 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 Actually, I like oysters, so I should like Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so this, this, this food stuff is it's fascinating. It's probably a love or hate thing. You, the first time I tasted it, I, I, I pre, pre-gardening apprenticeship, I was working at Shakahari's as a all right. you know, mm. waitress you know, whatever, dog's body kind of thing. And, yeah, got introduced to okra, okra there. And, yeah, ever since then, oh, I just loved it. So, But maybe it was cooked in the right – you know, they, they, they're beautiful cooks there, beautiful mm. chefs, so maybe it was cooked really well. And so the first experience was good, and then mm. from then on I always just remember that. So even though I don't cook it as well as that, but yeah. – <laughs> <laughs> They're not sounding convinced, Pat. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced. I'm convinced. I think it's great. I think, um, it's really uh, hard to buy. Yeah, Sometimes yeah. I get a real craving for it and I go around looking for it. And, of course, I live in a Middle Eastern Mediterranean part yeah. of town. And yes, of course. There's just, the best you can do is find some frozen sometimes in an Indian um, supermarket. So yeah. Pre- Preston Market always has it. Oh, okay. Oh, that's yes. a bit further. Yeah, yeah I should yeah. go to Preston Market. Yeah. yeah, there's nothing around Coburg mm. or Brunswick that I've found. So, mm. yeah. Oh, okay, Preston, go a bit further afield. But, yeah, it's, it's often hard to find, but, okay, Preston Market. Mm. Right. Yeah. And I know there are some varieties. I think there's a variety that Yates put out that now grow really well in Melbourne. Oh, oh really? Yes. yes. Yeah, so we've, we've, we've grown the green and the red through this program, um, but I'll, I'll have to look that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think mm. they brought that out only a couple of years ago mm. because mm. there was such a demand for, for one that would, that would actually survive Melbourne well, it's, and, it's, and fruit. Yeah, you've got to because you've got to have you've got to have a pretty long summer to really yes, have that's good production. But trouble. again, we're we're trying to show, um, you know, the Carlton Neighbourhood Learning Centre just tricks, which essentially is using glass or, or polytunnels, mm. you know, to get things going early. Mm. And then you know, the sort of summers we've had in the last ten years, it's fairly easy. Mm. Although this is so cool at the moment, 
uh, old school Melbourne it is, isn't it, really? Mm, yeah, it is. Yeah, Don't put your tomatoes in exactly. till after cup day. <laughs> and I, I, actually, I have to say, I think I, I was interviewed by phone on 3CR ages ago promoting grand final day as the oh, new okay. tomato day, and I'm like, I hope people weren't listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have tried that. No, <laughs> certainly not this year. But there's been a few, there's been a few uh, springs we've had where that was, like last year, the hottest October on record. Oh, was, yeah, that's so, right. Yeah. Yes, I had things it was in early. Cooler, now I haven't got anything It was cooler because I was away. Right. Oh, I organised yes. that. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. God, I was so pleased that it was raining most of the time I was yeah. away. Yeah. I don't know it how my garden would have. Off. Oh, I, my garden yeah. wouldn't have come through it terribly well if I wasn't here and yep. had one of those Octobers. So yep. I was relieved to get home and find my garden burgeoning. Yep. Because yeah. October can be brutal. Oh, it can be. Really mm-hmm. brutal mm-hmm. these days. But not, uh, well, of late, but not, not this year. Mm. The issue now is everything is so lush. If we get a stinking hot I week, uh, mm. I was even noticing yesterday. It was yesterday, the day before we had a warmish day, mm. um, and my acanthus in the garden at home just went yeah. and flared. Yeah. And nothing is ready. You know, yeah, it's because no, it's, it's, it's just so soft. Yes. Uh, I mean, it won't kill the plant, obviously, but it's it, going to make it the garden look pretty sad. dreadful. <laughs> yes, yes. So yes, we don't want too much heat suddenly. We want it to mm. incrementally go up. Mm. Yep. Okay, well, <clears throat> I'm delighted to say that online uh, we have David Maiden, uh, and David is from uh, the Rotary Club of Q. Good morning, David. Good morning, Pam. And thanks for talking to us this morning because, um, well, it's all about Garden Design Fest, which is coming up next weekend, the first part of it. That's, co- that's correct. Look, first, can I apologise for my voice? I've, I've got the hay fever. Been out oh, dear. Out in the garden too much. Right. <laughs> but, yes... Garden Design Fest is on again uh, this year. In fact, it starts next week, next weekend, uh, the 12th and 13th, and we've got um, about 30 gardens open in Melbourne and the metropolitan area. Uh, And then the following weekend, and this is a first, we go out to regional Victoria, and we've got 18 gardens uh, open out in regional Victoria. So it's, it's bigger and better than ever. I think it's fantastic to include the regional uh, areas and to, to put them on different weekends so people do have the opportunity of, of getting to both. Yes, that's, that's the whole idea. Is mm. um, Last year we had a couple in the country that were open up at Euroa and a lot of people, the feedback was from a lot of people, look, we couldn't get to everything. Yes. So, well, you can't it. anyway, David. <laughs> there are so many gardens open. I mean, I've, I've, I've spent, um, you know... Uh, because Garden Design Fest only comes up once every two years, um, I know that I personally have, have tried to race around and, and see how many I could get to in one day, and it's it's a bit of a feat, I can tell you. Yes, I know. We've been planning out route maps to try and help people. <laughs> that, that does help. And the fact that they're listed on the website in, in the various um, locality uh, areas, so you can you can choose one area of Melbourne and, and try and get to at least six that are close by to each other. So, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. That certainly again was the feedback we had from from previous years. So we try and listen to what the people say about the event and and then adapt it and introduce it again. with the pricing um, last year we we got some feedback that some of the smaller gardens, well, they thought the price was too high. So we've introduced a graduated pricing. Okay. So $5 for small gardens. Right. $8 for your average sort of um, quarter acre domestic uh, suburban block. Yep. And then $12 for the big broad acre gardens. Okay, that's a great idea. Yep. Now, um, the other thing is uh, all the money raised goes to charity, doesn't it? It does indeed. 100% goes to charity. And that's fantastic. What are the charities you're supporting this year? We're supporting three charities, the 
the Monash Children's Hospital, the new Monash Children's Hospital, um, Sporting Chance, which is a kids' cancer um, uh, charity, and the last one is the Murdoch Children's Research Institute. So three children's health charities, and you know, 100% of everything we take uh, goes to those three charities. Excellent. So we've got... On next Saturday and Sunday, we'll have about 250 to 300 volunteers mm-hmm. out there, you know, um, managing and manning the gardens. Everything is done by volunteers. Right. Uh, and we're very, very grateful for the support, of course, we get from the garden owners and the garden designers. Absolutely. Now, the thing that uh, really stands out to me is the fact that you've got the designers actually in the gardens. Yes. So... Um, People uh, can wander around the garden, have a look, and then they can actually have a chat to the designer if they've got any queries about how they achieved something or what inspired them to draw up that particular design, etc. It's It's just a, a fantastic yes, opportunity. That's exactly the whole idea. And, and this year in, a, in a, a number of the gardens, we've actually got with the designers some student uh, garden designers. Ah, so okay. we're giving them an opportunity to sort of sit with the masters shall we say, uh, and um, listen to their, what, what they're saying to the various requests and, and queries and to learn on the job, as it were. That's brilliant. Yeah, well done. Now, people can buy tickets at the gates, I presume, to each garden? Yes. The, or uh, they can go online as well? That's correct. If, if you just want to go to a couple of gardens, then you just rock up to the garden and uh, buy your entry ticket. If you want to go to a range, a number of gardens, then we have what we call all garden tickets. So you can buy a a ticket that will get you to every garden on next weekend. (laughs) I defy that to be done, but anyway. (laughs) Or every garden on the following weekend in the the regional areas. Uh, And you get that, as I say, you can go online to www.gardendesignfest.com.au, all one word, Garden Design Fest, or just go to the garden, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that's, the, that's the easy way. Excellent. Now, um, is it too late for people to, um, to get on one of the bus tours? Uh, I think there are about one or two spots left in the <laughs> Metropolitan Tours. Right. Um, but, you know, but since I last heard, they could have gone. So the Metropolitan Tours are fairly fully booked. Okay. However, we do have spaces on the regional tours. That is, the weekend of 19 and 20 November, we're running tours on the Saturday to Uroa, uh, and there are four fabulous gardens up there. They are just... I'm going up to Uroa for that whole weekend. Okay. Um, so there are still spots on that bus, and then the, on the Sunday the 20th, there's a bus going to uh, the Macedon Ranges and Bendigo, mm-hmm. uh, and there are spots left on that bus. Right. Um, not a lot, but still, I, I know there'd be sort of half a dozen or so. Okay. So that's that's a terrific day out because, you know, not everyone can get in the car and drive up uh, to the country. It's, you know, it might be too big a day, but a bus trip. And it's like, you know, you're meeting new people, meeting people interested in gardens. Exactly. It's a, it's a terrific day out. And it takes the pressure off because you don't have to find each location. It's all done for you. <laughs> <laughs> that's the easy part. <laughs> Pam, I think you've done it before. <laughs> I have. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, we, we, we can't go past um, not talking about some of the designers because, again, you, you've got some of the designers in there that have 
been there since I think day one supporting um, Garden Design Fest, haven't you? We do indeed, and and I suppose I said to someone the other day, we've got the rock stars of garden design. We certainly you know, we've, have. We've got the really the top top names, and that's fantastic. But we've also got new and emerging designers, and and I, I think that's even more fantastic mm. because this gives garden designers a stage, a platform on which to, as it were, perform, yes. show us their wares, yes. and, and we're bringing new people through. And um, So we've got, you know, in terms of the really well-known names, we've got your, your Paul Bangays, um, Philip Johnson, who won, you know, Best in Show at Chelsea. Um, we've got Rick Eckersley. We've got, Rick's got a couple of gardens in. Paul's got a couple of gardens in. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen Reid has also got a couple of gardens in. Um, you know, people, uh, Richard Bellamo, um, John Patrick, who we all see on television on Neighbourhood. Oh, can I say that? <laughs> of course you can say that. And, of course, John John was instrumental in getting Garden Design Fest off the ground originally, wasn't he? He was very, very influential. Yes. yes indeed, he was. Um, so we've got John there. We've got... Um, um, Carolyn and Joby Blackman also, yep. um, because they've got, they're very high profile now with all the work they've done out at Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show. Yes. But Carolyn won Best in Show uh, this year at the Melbourne Flower Show. Yes. And they've got a fabulous garden at South Yarra on display. Mm-hmm. Um, we also Eugene Gilligan has um, a couple of gardens in. Eugene's on uh, one of those other commercial radio stations we won't mention. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, very high-profile garden designers um, that, that people you know, are aware of. Um, and they've all been with us since we started, um, you know, what, um, 2004. Yes. Uh, but also new and young up-and-coming designers, and it gives them a chance, as I say, to be on the same stage. Mm. We're, we're really, well, proud of that. Oh, absolutely. I think the whole the whole idea of Garden Design Fest is just fantastic, and, and I know Melburnians really love the opportunity to look at so many wonderful gardens and, as I say, the, the chance to actually meet the designers and to talk to them. Best idea for people if they want to get involved, um, I guess, jump online because you, you really need to make a list of, of a wish list of which gardens you want to get to. That's correct. Just go online to www.gardendesignfest.com.au. The website has got photos of every garden that we've got open. It's got a description of the garden so you can get a sense of whether that's one of interest to you or not. It's got the address. It's got background information on the garden designer. All the information is there. It's got suggested routes, you know, to have to how you might want to link various gardens. Yes, that's to, really helpful. To save your time. And it's also got what we call calling added attractions. That So, uh, for example, it's mainly the regional gardens, but if you go to one of the regional gardens, there might be an um, afternoon tea on or there might be plant sales mm-hmm. or there might be, like at Malmesbury, there's the Malmesbury Village Fair on the same day. Right. Um, so various barbecues are being held on the bigger properties. So lots of information. Absolutely. And if people don't uh, don't jump on board this year, they'll have to wait for a whole two years before it comes round again. So they no excuses. <laughs> yeah. Pam, the, just, I think the last point I to make is there's a garden here for everybody. You know, they're not... Sometimes I think we, we sort of sit, look at open gardens and think, oh, it's going to be one of these big, you know expensive gardens, you know, a big house, lots of money. Yes. Um, there's a garden here for every, if you like, budget and, and type of block and, and, and um, 
setting. We've got we've got an apartment garden in St Kilda Road. Right. Okay. The yep. apartments are becoming more and more popular. Absolutely. So something as small as that, and then we you jump to Turak and South Yarra to the big, you know, fabulous um, gardens. But then you get out to the like the inner eastern gardens. Jump over the the, the river to a garden in Fairfield, a little working man's cottage street. Okay. Just the garden has totally transformed the house. As the, as the owners say, their house is now the highlight of the street, mm. just with a little bit of care in the garden. Fantastic. You then go out to the outer eastern suburbs with the more bushy areas. Um, you go out to the country, to the broadacre estates or to little bluestone cottages. There's, there's a garden for everybody. Absolutely. Really inspirational stuff. Okay, all the very best with, with the, the uh, fest. Um, I'm sure it will go really well. Um, you might even see me trying to race around again next oh, weekend. Can I put in a plea too? Could somebody ring me at work later today from the organising committee, please? Not a problem. All right. Where's, where's the number, though? 54263075. Uh, 54263075. Yeah, fantastic. Sometime later today, I'd love to have a chat to someone. Okay, terrific. All right. Well, say a prayer for the weather for us, will you? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, yes. let's hope. Thanks, Thanks for you. talking to us this morning, Thank David, you, and all the best. Cheerio. Bye. Okay, I've been asked to give out the details of the Geranium Day again. Uh, now, this is the uh, Australian Pelagonium and Geranium Society annual spring show. Um, it is on today... Uh, it's out at Belfield Community Centre. That's on the corner of Oriel Road and Banksia Street in Ivanhoe. It's open 9.30 this morning through till 4 o'clock this afternoon. Cost is $5, which includes morning and afternoon tea. Uh, there'll be plants and cuttings for sale. And if you want a contact number for that, you can phone Lorna. Her number is 9438 4080. That's 9438 4080. And uh, Chris, you've been asked to repeat the details of the edible sale. Sure. So it's um, at the Carlton Connect Initiative, which is a kind of program of the University of Melbourne. And the location is the corner of Grattan and Swanson Street um, in Carlton, at the, you know, the top there, yes. at, opposite the university. And it's December the 3rd um, from 12pm till 3 o'clock. Terrific. Yeah, and we'll start promoting that pretty heavily in the next week. Yep, and as I say, if you can shoot those details through to me, I'll mention that again over the next uh, week or two until that comes up. Great. Yep, fantastic. All right, we've got a couple of callers we must get to. First up, we have uh, Anne in Oak Park. Good morning, Anne. Oh, good morning, panel. Uh, today I have to transplant a couple of Queen Elizabeth roses. They were accidentally planted in the wrong position three or four years ago. Somewhere too small for them, I take it? No, uh, they were planted in the shade, part oh. shade, and also among some tree roots. So they're coming out today. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to know, do I wet the soil before I take them up and do I cut them back? You certainly cut them back. You'd need to cut them back by at least a good two-thirds. Uh, in fact, I'd remove all the foliage. Um, so cut them back quite hard. Um, and, I mean, if the ground's moist, it's easier to dig. So I guess if you water them first. But certainly more important is to water them in well once you've shifted them. Right. 
And I would also give them a seaweed um, extract when you do move them. Um, uh, they're amazingly tolerant plants. I've dug, dug roses up in December and they've mm. been fine. I mean, as long as you cut them back really hard, um, uh, they will shift quite well. Oh, okay then. Thank you very much, Do Have a great week. Okay, thank thanks, you, Anne. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Right, next up we have uh, Dave, who's down in Frankston. Good morning, Dave. Yeah, good morning, everybody. Uh, before, I've got a couple of questions, but talking about geraniums first... In the 60s, they were very popular. And then they sort of, it wasn't the flavour for years and years. People said, oh, geraniums. But they have come back, and don't they add a lot of colour to a front garden mixed in with other plants? Have you found that? Oh, they yes. certainly do, mm. yes. Yes, they're an underutilised group of plants, really. Uh, they're just, I mean, you go to the Mediterranean, you go to Italy and Greece and places like that. Yeah, although that's hardly Mediterranean. <laughs> no, 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 but they're really into their... Um, yeah, yes, into their ter- ivy ter- ones for hanging out of... Oh, I've got a lot of trouble. I was trying to do my sister's veggie garden when I was over there. She lives in Switzerland in a village. And, you know, there's a lot of protocol about the geraniums. Oh, yeah, she oh, right. have the right uh, varieties. Can, oh, and also they have to be done by a certain time of the year. The ladies, the elderly ladies in the village, like the elderly lady, a mafia, were really, really cross with... Because I didn't... Because I was messing around with the vegetable garden, not getting the geraniums in... Um, um, and the the old tatty ones were in from last year, all from snow affected, and so yeah, that, they have to all be looking neat and tidy and flowering and red. That's the Swiss for you. <laughs> wow, <laughs> you can't really understand what, what that country's like. Yeah. It's very odd. Yeah, yeah, they are different. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's saying anything out in, of, out of in countries where garden say, yeah. trends don't tend to matter so much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> then um, you do find those sorts of plants hang about, and but you're right. They go out of fashion in some mm. Western countries because, oh, those old things, uh, and people forget the how useful they are. Yes, that's And right. they really are. They're fantastic plants, and they do really strong colours very well. Mm. Uh, they flower for months and months and months and oh, months. Oh, they do. Uh, and they require very little care and attention to Bird grow well. Water. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you're right. They, they are a group of plants coming back into their own again. Anyway, the two questions are the first one, a friend of mine, he bought some sunflower seeds from the supermarket and just threw them in the garden. And after a while, he had sunflowers coming up. Is that true? Yeah, yes. yes. Why not? Yeah, and the other question is, I've got a liquid amber that's about 20 years old, but it's been dormant for a couple of years. Does that mean it could have passed away? If it's been dormant for a couple of years, I would feel quite confident to say, yes, it's, it's dead. dead. All right. I would. Yeah, so it's firewood and kindling now. And the other thing is with a, I've got a pear tree, but the leaves, they're almost, I've, we've talked about this in the past, like some trees are in suspended animation and it's almost like the weather conditions, even the trees are all, not confused, but really unusual the way the leaves are coming out. It's have you noticed that with some trees, they're getting sort of all confused with the different weather conditions? Well, some things are coming out later uh, than they have mm. done for a while. So I've still got quite a few trees that are seriously dormant uh, at the moment because it's been so cool. Mm. Um, uh, but, you know, trees are amazingly adaptable things and they, they, they adjust to it and they, and they behave according to the seasons. And, uh, you know, as long as the growing conditions are within a certain sort of parameter, uh, they'll deal with things. So, yeah, so your pear tree may well be sort of struggling a wee bit. Uh, it might actually have rather wet feet 
which could be a problem um, with all the rain we've been getting. Um, some of the fruit trees like reasonably good drainage, so maybe it's struggling a wee bit because the ground's a bit too wet. Uh, but once it dries up a bit, it should be off and away. And in the frag scenario, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, gee, there's a lot of Norfolk, I can never say that, Norfolk pines, but when the wind blows, they move and move, but uh, they're a beautiful tree, aren't they? They are, if you like, trees that look like they've been put together by a committee. <laughs> that's, they, that's harsh. <laughs> well, they yeah, are yeah. a very <laughs> symmetrical sort of a tree. They don't yeah. have any sort of – they don't look natural. Uh, they look like somebody's idea of a Christmas tree that <laughs> they drew a, as a, a child. A designer tree. A designer tree, yes, yeah. or, or a tree designed, A computer-generated yeah, yeah, computer tree or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and look, I have a great soft spot for that whole group of conifers. Mm. I think they're a wonderful group of plants. Mm. But they are very in-your-face trees, and uh, they make fabulous avenues. They make really good feature plants. But they don't sit neatly in with other trees in a lot of ways. You know, they've got such a personality, they've got to sort of stand out <laughs> from everything else, uh, which I have no problem with, really. You know, it's, it's possible that I should be planting more of those things if I'm trying to have a garden that reflects my own personality. Um, right. But, uh, yeah, they're amazing trees and, uh, and they're all over the world in tropical and subtropical climes now. Um, I saw quite a lot of Norfolk Island pines in Madagascar when I was yeah. there uh, last week. And, in fact, I saw several other areas growing quite well there as well, some of the New Caledonian ones and, oh. and even the piranha pine from South America was growing very well in Madagascar. What's a piranha pine? Uh, Area angustifolia. And what does it? It sort of looks like a slightly wispy monkey puzzle. Why does Mm. it? Why does it have that scary name? Piranha pine. It's yeah. not spelt. It's not spelt like as oh. in the fish. Uh, it's pronounced Thinking, what the does same. It do to you? It's yeah. not going to nibble your toes. No, no. So yeah, no. That the common name is actually spelt, I think, differently than the piranha right. fish. Uh, and so I don't know. It's also known as candelabra pine because oh, okay. it does get a very candelabra type. It's a bit more top. friendly sounding. Yeah, but they're, they're a wonderful group of conifers. Um, and I think since the discovery of the Woolamai pine, I think a lot of southern hemisphere conifers are starting to get a bit of a resurgence in popularity. People are starting to relook at them again. That's right, mm. and. Designers have fallen, re, re fallen in love with um, Agathus robusta. So yeah. cowrie pine are very popular at the moment. Really? Yeah, yeah. they're, they're yeah. planted everywhere. Yeah, I'm yeah. hoping that they're not planting them around boundaries in Turak like they have other things. Oh, but... no, 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 no. There's definitely going to be some monster trees in the <laughs> few decades' yeah. time. Which but, is um, fantastic. I yeah. mean, the, the Agathus are a wonderful group of trees. I, I think they're fabulous. Mm. And, uh, yeah, so all those Southern Hemisphere conifers, I think, you know, we should be revisiting them again because uh, we should be revelling in them. We don't need to plant spruces and pines and things necessarily yeah. in, in Australia, but Oricarias and Agathus and all that sort of stuff are, are wonderful sort of subtropical trees that do well. Yeah, I was just up in um, Alstonville near Ballina and just to see hoop pines, you mm. know, Araucaria cunninghamiana, just natural sprouting. It's just fantastic. Mm. I should say that a lot of the Araucarias are that group now um, naturalising in the Burnley Gardens. They're popping oh. up. So they're popping no, up. No, honestly, wow. they're, it's, it's extraordinary. And that okay. maybe that's a climate change thing. So we have oh, now okay. uh, the Agathus robusta, uh, Araucaria germinating, you know, quite frequently. And, right. and in fact, Gee. Andrew Smith, our head gardener, is using that as a kind of long-term tree replacement succession program. Okay. Saying, okay, this one's popped up here because they're 150 years old, a lot of those big, yes. big uh, southern conifers at Burnley. So it's it's time to th- start thinking about their replacements. So, mm. yeah. How so handy. That's that thinking they, long-term. It is. <laughs> but how handy that the trees kind of said, oh, well, we're just going to pop up now. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. I mean, the timing's incredible. It is. Mm. Mm. Okay, anyway, anyway uh, keep up the good work. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.
You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15, our usual time slot. If you'd like to jump on board and phone in with a gardening question or any comment you'd like to make, do give us a call. The number is 94190155. That's 94190155. In the studio this morning, we do have Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants, Karen Sutherland from Edible Eden Design and Dr Chris Williams from Burnley Campus of Uni of Melbourne. So do give us a call. That number again, 94190155. Karen, let's have a quick chat about some of the things you've brought in. It's a, it's a very again, disparate a, lot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got an unusual blue comfrey. Pretty sure it's Symphytum caucasicum. Okay. Uh, very, very pretty. Got that from Lindy at Island Herbs in Tasmania a long time ago. It's just looking spectacular at the moment. So when I wandered out into the garden to get a bit of elderflower blossom. That's a stunning um, blue. It's absolutely beautiful. And it's, it's a proper blue. It is. It's really not one of those is, nurseryman yeah. blues. No. no. <laughs> and, and actually, you're all mauve. Yeah, yeah. It's exactly. really quite hard to get a decent blue flower. Mm. Oh, often. it is. Blue so, is one of those cherishable yeah. colours in yes, the garden yeah. when it blue is a truly really blue flower. Mm. Yes. Mm. So uh, um, I sort of got some and put them in because Lindy said, oh, this is something different. So I thought I'd try them out and now I've got them spread throughout my garden. So we're starting to pop them up and propagate them for next year's open garden. Okay, excellent. And uh, what else? Oh, a bit of a, a bit of elderflower because it is hay fever time of year. And yes, I've got a bit of um, elderflower tea in here. Right. <laughs> uh, yes, elderflower, very good if you have one. Of course, they are environmental weeds. So do be careful if you live near bushland, don't plant them. But if you are lucky enough to have an elderflower near you, then you can make yourself some elderflower and peppermint tea to um, help. Look, look, it doesn't really knock out terrible hay fever, but it does help a bit because it's very sinus draining. And the other thing I'll be doing in uh, the next day or so, because, again, the elderflowers, see, that's really odd. They've come out early. Though. Yeah, usually, they usually are Usually make elderflower wine. Oh, that's what I was going to make uh, soon in uh, mid to late November and yet these flowers have been out for a week or so and I've been looking mm. at them a bit anxiously thinking I'm not ready yet. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. <got> time yet. <laughs> so and speaking of cyanide, just out of interesting bit of a segue from uh, a bit of a mention of cyanide I always knew that you meant to take out, take off the little green stems as much as possible but I actually read the other day it's because they contain cyanide because I knew they were bitter and they kind of make the wine not taste as good if you don't go around and snip mm. them off really meticulously but apparently it's the cyanide in them. Yeah, well, there you go. go. Yeah. And and the last brief thing um, that Sorry, I brought in. Contaminant of the day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, I don't know how we've lived this long, really. Yeah. <laughs> and they say gardening's good for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've also brought in uh, strawberry gum, eucalyptus olida. Um, and, yes, very unusual smelling foliage. Interestingly, I suppose it's that thing like harvesting any herb. So this is being used as a herb in the bush food industry. Um, mostly wild harvested from a very small part of uh, northern New South Wales. Okay. Which we tried to find on holidays. I could have, I could have come back and said, we found a strawberry gum. But I crushed so many leaves. I'd walk along, crush, crush, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, I, we went to the northern extent of where they are supposed to be and mm. they are an endangered tree. Okay. Um, and next time we're going to have to go back to the southern end so um, and try from there because evidently there's um, – you know, nothing. Because I don't know what the trees look like when they're big because 
you know, we've only just started. I mean, it took me two years to find, locate the seed of these. I had to write letters to people. I had to first of all, I had to join a secret organisation. Yes, I'm not and sure. Learn the okay. <laughs> <laughs> that took quite a lot of effort. Right. Finally, they got back to me. This is all, um, you know, you're talking letters written and checks sent and things like that. Finally, I joined this organisation. Then I got a list of places that I might be able to get this seed. So then I had to keep ringing all these people and email. Uh, sorry, not emailing, calling and and writing to them to find out if they harvested and so if they sold uh, strawberry gum seed. So it's, it's not it's, available from normal, you know. No, no really. <laughs> no. Some of the big well, seed seed. Well, uh, no, 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 no. It's all really, really small. It's it's okay. from a tiny, tiny, tiny area, really, sure. in Australia, and sure. it really is an endangered plant. So anyway, mm. so yeah, look, it might be now, but this is, um, I mean, I've been, we've been able to um, grow some for the last year or so, so maybe something's happened in the last year, but it certainly wasn't before that. So um, anyway, yes, so it, so most of the powder, so I've put some powder in, of course, that doesn't do very well on radio either, but it, it has, um, yeah, sold by the bush food industry, dried and ground. So I use a little coffee grinder to do that. Um and I've also brought in some um, strawberry gum, little tasty things for everyone to try here today. So I've been um, experimenting. That works on radio really yeah, well yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I've, um, I, it's my usual thing about being interested in lots of bush, herb, bush herbs rather than bush foods, I suppose, because I really feel like you can integrate them into a Western diet a lot yes, more easily. Exactly. So, so I'm not knowing as much. The Look, this does have Aboriginal usages, but um, I don't know very much about that, so I won't, I won't speak about that with very little knowledge, which would be a silly thing to do. But certainly in the bush food industry, the very intense berry flavour, more than strawberry, is incorporated into um, – it can be incorporated into ice creams very well, as my local ice cream shop, Mino Gelati, does spectacularly with with chocolate, strawberry and chocolate. Okay. Uh, sorry, chocolate and strawberry gum ice cream. Um, mm. Into cakes uh, and into teas. It does really well as a tea, um, dried or fresh leaves. So. Right. So Can I have a smell? again, oh, we're um, um, growing those just really limited numbers. Uh, people are starting to buy them and put them into council gardens. And now I've completely forgotten which council has planted one, but I'm going to start doing a little um, post on my website about where that where people can go and see them growing. And we've been putting them into uh, um, bush food gardens in kind. We put one into a kindergarten recently to try and right. get some shade. Right. Uh, but I had to sort of give the proviso. Look, I don't 100 percent know what this tree is going to turn out like. So yeah, it's a bit exciting. It is a bit. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, fun. I can say that it's strawberry-ish. Ish. Yeah, it's yeah. really it's more berry. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's more berry. Just something something different. Something it's interesting. It's not eucalyptus-ish though. Is no, it? no, no. Really. no. Oh, there's a, there's no. A definitely a, there's a sousson of eucalyptus. And definitely. you know the really interesting thing about um, going into the area where where the stra- near where the strawberry gums live and smelling leaves, thinking, oh, is that it? Smell, crush, crush, smell, smell. No, but there it was interesting that. You could almost smell, I might have been imagining it because I really wanted to find strawberry gums, but you could almost smell the beginnings of that aroma. And like there was the the definite eucalyptus, typical eucalyptus smell, but then there was an undertone of something. Mm. And I found it really interesting. you think it's foodie koalas over time? Yes. Selecting the the tastier ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's it's completely different to your average eucalyptus. It's quite Mm. quite odd. That is different. Okay. Mm. Anyway, a bit of fun. Something a bit... Something a bit fun and different, Absolutely. which we all like in here. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, let's go to a couple more callers. We have Beverly next out in Rosanna. Good morning, Beverly. Oh, good morning. Look, I'm just phoning you about um, the problem I've got with my roses. I've had them for a minimum of 16 years, and I've got um, problems with uh, three in the, in the backyard and two in the front. Now, what's happening is... Um, 
they're different types. One is a big bushy one with a single flower. The other one is the lovely um, David Austin, Abraham Darby. And then there's two standard Mary Rose in the front garden. What's happened over the last two years is that um, the stems have grown so long that they cannot sustain, the, the main stem can't sustain them. So they just fall down into the garden. So they're just looking like a bit of a star on the ground, really. Although the leaves are in perfect condition and the flowers are in perfect condition. But of course, you know, they just turn up from, from touching the ground. And the standards are the same. They're just, the, the stems are just falling off, you know, producing a nice flower lovely leaves but just falling down because they're too long now when I went to the nursery to ask them last year they said they had I was probably giving them too much nitrogen and uh, they needed uh, you know um, strengthening and uh, potassium and calcium um, the, the things I've been, I've been trying to think what on earth has happened in my garden in the last two years to, to make this happen uh, apart from you know I have tried that but but it's a bit, you know, I won't know until next year probably. But the things that have happened in my garden in the last two years are I've had a retaining wall built um, and I've had a concrete border placed in the backyard and I've put some organic mulch um, I've sprinkled around in the garden. Now, all of those, those roses that are in trouble have not all touched, had come into contact with all of those things, perhaps the organic mulch. So, you know, apart from that, I have no idea why this is happening to my roses after, you know, they've been there 16, 20 years and I've never had a problem with them before. Are they still getting adequate sunlight? Yes, mm. yes, absolutely. Because that sometimes is a problem as yes. gardens get older and shade starts to come mm. over. And plants spread out. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I'd no, also no su- because there's, in one case there's one next to it, which is fine. Mm. Yes, it's just really strange. Well, you do, well, that's all very well, but different varieties will react in different ways oh, too. Right. So you can't say one rose cultivar will perform exactly the same okay. as the next rose cultivar in the same bed. So oh. unless it's a whole row of the same rose, then mm. it's... No, they're it's, all getting some. Yeah. All right. So um, I can't see anything to do with retaining walls or no. and certainly organic mulch. None of those things I can no. think would have had any sort of impacts like that. Um, certainly it does sound like they're growing too vigorously for themselves mm. and they're falling over. But yes. what I would do is I'd actually use pruning to try and encourage mm. better shape with them. And as soon as they start to shoot in the spring, I'd nip the tips out and I would encourage them to branch instead of sending up long canes that will then get heavy flowers and flop over. So right. I would be – it'll mean your flowering crop will be a little later. Uh, but if you prune them back as soon as they get to, say, in the old measurements, about 10 inches to a foot, take the tips out of them, that will encourage them to branch again. And when they get to sort of 10 inches or a foot again, I do it again. Right. And so encourage sort of more of a framework of branching in your rose bushes to, to hopefully overcome that problem a bit. Right. So I just had a thought. Um, Beverly, do you know – whether, uh, I mean, do you recognise the difference between the, the rootstock coming up from the ground if there's long branching arms? Do you think it might be the rootstock and the top may have died? Um, I don't know. I've, I actually, uh, I cut back the rootstock when I see it. You know, all of those. So oh, you no, recognise the rootstock. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, root no, yeah. I'm cutting back the water mm. shoot. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. But um, I pruned them very hard this year. I mm. pruned them all back very hard. Yeah. And well, I that actually encourages growth. And that's, that's another... I, oh. The other thing you've got to remember is if you prune a rose hard, it yeah. invigorates it. If you prune it lightly, it keeps it from being vigorous. Oh, maybe that has So heavy pruning is fine if you've got a rather weak, miserable rose. But if you've got a really strong, vigorous rose, you're actually better when you do your winter pruning to prune lightly. 
Right. So yeah, so yeah, so you, it's sort of counterintuitive in a way. You think cutting it back hard is good for a vigorous rose, but mm. what it actually does is invigorate it. Right, or maybe that's what's happened to so the So you need roses. to adjust mm. your pruning. Uh, those that are particularly vigorous don't prune too hard when you do your main winter pruning. You can mm. tip prune them, as I suggested, in the spring, but um, I certainly wouldn't prune them hard in the winter. Um, and mm. uh, those that are the weakest of your roses, the ones that actually should be pruning really hard. Right, so the ones where I've got them sort of just lying on the ground, they just fall down because yeah. they can't. So I sh- should I try cutting those back now or cutting back what's left on the bushes? Yeah, I would. I'd, I'd do okay. a, a, a late spring prune, right. uh, try and encourage some new growth in an upward direction. Yeah. As soon as that starts, then nip the tips out of it and try and rebuild a framework. Right, okay. All right, then. Thank you. That's okay. a pleasure. Good luck. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right, next up we have uh, Wendy in Vermont South. Good morning, Wendy. Oh, good morning, everybody. Uh, A question about uh, hose reels, Um, you know, just to keep the hose tidy in the garden. I don't have any problem. I hang mine on the bracket on the wall. But my mum, she's 82, and I I noticed lately she's really struggling. She's walking around in the garden sometimes with a walking stick, not always. She just wants to be out there. And we see she wants to tidy up the hose, she, like she's happy to pull it out and water, but then, gee, getting it back, she's always just put it on the ground near the tap. Um, and we've seen those ones that I just think they're ugly and so does mum. They look like little vacuum cleaners. Those <laughs> the retractable, yes. Yeah, yeah, and you push the button, that would be great. But they just, is there anything like that that doesn't have that, I've looked online. I can't find no, it. No, I've not heard of a product that's going to fit your purpose. I, I really have. It can be really tough to um, yeah. Any use of the hand ones with a bit mm. less strength. Yeah, uh, any of the ones you wind up by hand, I think it'd be too hard to deal with. Yeah, that's with. hard. Mm. Yeah, work. that is hard work. I would actually suggest those. Um, it might not be what she wants, but those really curly, tightly wound hoses. So they look like a slinky. Mm. Oh, that's maybe you don't know what a slinky is, but a. Um, <laughs> Help me here. Yeah. <laughs> they sort of corkscrew in. Corkscrew, yeah, they're, they're thank corkscrew. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. then you, they're actually quite soft. You pull mm. them out, but then they spring back together. So oh, they're actually quite easy to that. use. They, they look. You can't water very long distances with them, but they're quite good in short distances from a tap. Yeah, yeah, she hasn't got far that she's got to take the mm. hose. No, well, they're that, quite that, good. that would work yeah. quite well, yeah. I think. Mm. I wonder what it's called, What how I mm. look. Um, maybe go with corkscrew. Corkscrew. I'll, um, I'll try. I'll try. Yeah. Hose. Are they are they really kink free though? I found that's the big technological. Well, they don't. Um, they don't really kink because they just stay. Oh. They stay in the coil. Yes. And this coil. Yes. And, coiled and hose. They're yeah. coiled and and they're yeah. quite. They're quite soft, good. So they're very soft. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so I think if, that if prevents it's soft, the kinking. It won't kink, will it? Because it's not no. brittle enough. And no, it's, that's it's, right. Um, you don't. It doesn't require a lot of strength to use them. I've got. Yeah. I don't have one, but I've used them in other people's gardens, and I've been quite impressed by them. So. Oh well, that's worth a shot. So yeah. as far as you guys know, though, apart from that option. It's either the push button thing that looks like a vacuum cleaner, yep, or yep. it's the hose winding by hand thing. Yeah, yeah. the hose Fray winding by hand. Even I it's struggle too with those. Hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Not good for right. an elderly person. Well, if you can get Is one in green, a green vacuum there? cleaner for the garden, yeah. <laughs> it's a way to go. Or, or we'll try this soft. Um, yeah, well, go go and have a look at one. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and have a feel of it. Yeah, yeah, try it out. Maybe even take your mum with you. You should yeah. be able to find them at, yep, at yep, any yep. of the major hardware stores or. Yeah. Okay, we'll give that a shot then. And the other question is, and I should know, but I just can't remember, um, planting impatience like I did last summer, the spot where I, I need to put them, there's nothing, look, they will grow, but one colour got burnt and one didn't, and I don't remember if it's the white or the colour 
in impatient, if it gets too much sun, gets burnt. Well, generally speaking, paler colours are more inclined yes. to burn, so mm. my gut feeling is that it would be the white ones that are likely to burn. Um, and, of course, they show burn more than oh, coloured ones. Of course they yep. would. Yep. Of the, course they would. That the, would be it then. So mm. I've got a plan. Mm. I'm going to write this down because I'm hopeless. But there are, there are varieties of impatience that you can buy that are classified as uh, sun patients. Yeah. Look, I've seen those sun patients, and I've, I've had a couple in pots, and I found, well, some of them managed really well, but others got burnt still. So, um, again, it might be the colour of that sun patient. Some of those might be better than the others. Mm. Well, certainly the bright and rich colours are likely to be less problems. To be less less of a problem, yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you so much, and we love your show. Thanks again. Okay, bye. Bye-bye now. Uh, very quickly, Karen, uh, Jan has phoned in wanting you to give the, uh, the oh, name I know, again. I could have um, rattled that off. So it's Comf- oh, the same name as Comfrey, which is Symphytum. So I won't spell that because it's Comfrey. And the species name, as far as I know, is Caucasicum. So it's C-A-U-C-A-S-I-C-U-M. That's the closest I've been able to get to. Now, the only place I've seen it, I mean, we will have just a few potted up at, at my open garden in March, first weekend of March. But um, in the meantime, if Jane wanted to get them, Lindy at, uh, oh, well, you really should look up Island Herbs Tasmania, Except that you'll have to go to Tasmania to get it because she's not doing mail order at the moment. So <laughs> it's uh, not. It's not that, <laughs> I just remember that. that. That's obsessiveness Sorry. if you've got yeah, to go yeah, all the yeah, way to Tassie yeah, for yeah. a plant. Yes, yeah. So look, look, I will have a few potted up for March. So yeah, that's the best way to do it. I think it's probably no, easier. Yeah, easier. Be in there early at Karen's. And yes, you'll be fine. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. All right, next up we're going to uh, Ian, who's out in Faulkner. Good morning, Ian. Good morning, guys. Um, Long time listener. First time caller. Oh, good on um, you. Welcome. Yes. Um, look, I, I've got uh, a couple of things. Um, one, one's a, uh, a mandarin tree that I put in, oh, it would have been about four or five years ago. Now, I made a silly mistake and I bought it from a supermarket of all terrible places, but um, it's a uh, emperor ma- mandarin. And it's, it took a while to get going and now it's growing quite well, quite vigorously. Um, but the fruit is terrible um the fruits really if it's if the fruit's juicy it's fairly bland in flavor um but a lot of the fruit is completely dry i've kept the water up to it and um it's uh, the fruit's yeah, not good at all sounds um, like mine <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so i'm just wondering if there's anything um i can do or any ideas or i mean i've i i, I, I uh, have given it various sorts of uh, feeding um you know, citrus food at uh, the right times of year. I've also um, fed it with manure and things like that. Um, and um, but any any suggestions as to improving the fruit? Well, do you mulch heavily, Ian? With the um, yeah, it gets a bit of mulch. Yeah, there's some um, some some bark mulch around it. Um, yeah, it gets a reasonable amount of mulch. Yeah, I don't think you can mulch enough with citrus in my experience. Um, right. Just so yep. that even if you are, you know, irrigating or watering, that you know you're not just losing it to evaporation. But I mean, right. um, yep. And that, yeah, because it sort of seems a bit of a mm. bit strange that's so dry. I'd also try some trace elements. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Some some of these citrus fruits they need sort of micronutrients that aren't always obvious in the soil. And so if you buy a packet of mixed trace elements and use it as they suggest on the packaging, sometimes it's, you know, it's a lack of, I don't know, molybdenum or boron or one of these things. It's always boron. It's always boron, (laughs) you think, yeah. 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 And so Mm. I find trace elements quite a useful thing to have in the the 
shed, uh, uh, keeping in mind, of course, that they take time to work. So you're not going to expect anything immediately on this crop right. of fruit. But if yep. the trace elements have some effect, it'll happen over the next 12 to 18 months or so. Mm. Okay. Ir- irregular weather. I've just had a bit of a quick Google yeah. because I can never, I don't know why this happens. It doesn't really make mm. sense. You think, oh, it must be water. And then you think, well, there's been enough water on the trees. But irregular weather, mm. as in unseasonal weather. So the tree is, it actually makes sense when you think about it. The tree is kind of t- trying to cope, especially a young tree. You've said this mandarin's not that, not that old yet. So yep. perhaps it just hasn't really established a good enough root system to take in the nutrients it needs to. And so mm. it's not able to put the appropriate amount of energy into its. Yep. Fruit, yeah. which makes yeah. sense. Yeah, and I so think mandarins are sort of a bit borderline this uh, this far south. That's too. true. You know, yeah. you can they do can well go really well, but but it yeah, depends but it where is, you are. Yeah, yeah, it does depend on where they what your are. Your microclimate your garden, is. Yeah, yeah, and all that stuff. Mm. I mean, I've got one growing perfectly well at Macedon, which is something of an achievement anyway. <laughs> and I think this last year, I actually had edible mandarins on it for the first time in about mm. ten years, uh, and and they were all right. I mean, they weren't like shop bought mandarins, I have to say, but for free, they weren't bad. Um, but weather stress would make sense this year yeah. if it's a younger tr- younger tree mm. and it has been really really cold. Citrus has suffered, so mm. yeah. Yep. So, so it's, it's all well, part it's of first, it. What, it's one is the first oh. um, first lot of uh, fruit I've had on it. Well, yeah. that could um, be yeah. And the other the other point that this particular blogger just looked up makes is it might be too much nitrogen at the expense uh, or not having enough phosphorus and potassium. Mm. So having a really well balanced. So make sure you're not just throwing manure on. Make sure you're using um, a balanced organic citrus food that's actually specified for citrus yep. citrus trees. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I got two ideas the other day. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. three. We got the mulching. But, uh, but I'd also, I'd also in in, in the first ideas. place try the trace elements. Oh, trace elements. Yeah, yeah you've got you've got everything there. Gee, yeah, you've got four ideas. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll give it, give the trace elements a go as well. I've got a Washington navel orange next to it as well, and it's really struggled. Like it's it hasn't grown much. It's got some fruit on it for the first time this year. Uh, but I'll just have to see how that goes. Maybe I could give that a, a, a same sort of feed. And in the same line down the garden. I've got a, um, a dwarf mulberry. Well, um, they're usually tough as nails. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's going all right. It? Uh, Spray into the treated pine post cracks. Oh, well, again, you, you're going to have to use something that's a fairly toxic spray um, uh, to knock them with, unless you can just squirt them with hot water maybe or something. Just, maybe just pyrethrin inside the. Yeah, you could that's try a lower some. toxicity at least. Yes. Yes, yeah, so, well, I'll try something like that. Thank okay. you very much. All right. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Maybe some spack filler in the holes. Yeah. <laughs> it's another way of looking yeah. at it. Yeah. 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 Um, very quickly, we'll go to uh, Anna, who's in Coburg. Um, you'll have to be very quick, Anna. Anna, are you there? Oops. Sorry, Anna. Well, we were very quick then. <laughs> yeah, 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 exceedingly quick. Uh, also, uh, Joan, who's in East Malvern. You there, Joan? Yes, I'm here. Okay, now you're going to have to be really I'll super be quick. I'll be very quick, Stephen. I've got a question for you, please. Mm-hmm. We've got a very lovely Canadian maple. It's only about seven years old, and it's flowered. Uh, sorry, the leaves have been magnificent for the last six years, and all of a sudden this year, it, it hasn't even sprouted. It's hardly got a li- little shoots all over it. Sounds like it's drowning. You think it's the water log? Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, I can't think of any reason for a young tree like that no, to suddenly go off like this. And mm. with the wet weather we've had, I think if your soil's a little on the heavy side, yes. uh, my gut feeling is it's drowning. 
So what, can we do anything about that? Well, not really, unless you can work out some way of draining, draining the, the, the area away from it. Yeah. And even now it may well be too late because, yeah. you know, by the time you see these symptoms, sometimes the root system's it's, basically it's dead. in trouble, yes. Mm. Well, okay. look, yes, it was losing its leaves very early in, in the sum, autumn, summer, autumn. Yeah, yeah. which year. means it was probably struggling with the dry at that point. It was. Yep. And yes. now with the wet weather. It's gone the other way. Yeah. Oh, okay, well, we've got to go, I'm afraid. Thank you. Well, thanks for that. Okay. Bye-bye. Oh, we have run out of time. A big thank you to the team. Chris, it's Pleasure. been great to have yeah, you yeah, in on board. Yeah, thanks for having me, Pam. Yeah, might have to try and drag you back next year That'd again. That'd be great. That'd be terrific. And um, do shoot me through all that info about... Yep. Um, Yes. Will do. Great. All right. A big thank you to Vicky, who's been handling all the phones. We'll, of course, be back next Sunday at 9.15. And I mean at 7.30. What am I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> 7.30. We'll be leaving at 9.15. Yeah. Till then, it's bye for now.